everybody welcome into a brand new hold that podcast podcast uh it's a big day today i am your host t bob a bear i am joined by your co-host my co-host your other host mr brody miller he writes for the athletic and catches work on the athletic.com this podcast is an athletic podcast so uh go to the athletic.com slash hold that podcast it's a great sign up deals welcome in though Big day today. I host a radio show in Baton Rouge. We had the one, the only, Joe Burrow on this morning. We'll break it down. We're going to take some questions. Brody has an interesting article to talk about. So we got a lot to get to on today's Hold That Podcast podcast. But first, let me welcome in Mr. Brody Miller. Brody, what's up? What's up, man? How are you doing? I'm thriving because... This has been a big week for me. Um, Claire and I have gotten into, I mean, like like most of America, we've gotten into baking a little bit and messing yeah, around dude. with that game, but we've also gotten into making our own pizza. And I mean, that's not exactly some crazy, you know, radical thing, but we're we're getting pretty damn good at making pizza, and it's been I, a, it's been a big week in that sense. We made it three days, dude, in, two I days in a row. Smash! Why are you trying to be like me? What I got into the pizza get making game for like three months ago. Do you even use double lot flour? We use uh we actually bought special uh we bought pastry flour and bread flour from Belgard Bakery. We're getting you know high quality bakery flour. We're not just buying grocery oh store stuff. Oh my god, you scrub for pizza crust. You should use double aught flour. It's got the two zeros on it. Um, you okay. know, I mean, geez, see, don't try. I, don't even, I, don't I know you you come in here and you're just like, I want to dunk on somebody. Well, I look at it from the prism of like, hey, I want to share pizza talk with my buddy, and that's the difference no, between right. you and me. I, <laughs> no, I just I, I do find it um, the timing of that is just so odd because quite literally, like I think it was three months ago for my birthday or two months ago actually, um, my my father in law got me a pizza oven attachment for my grill out back, and so I went through like a hot and heavy month of just making pizzas all the time. It's incredibly satisfying. It really is. So. You're right. I should support you in this. It's 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 a, it's a great pastime to take up. It really gives me an appreciation for just how many different variables exactly. there are in a pizza. Yeah, like it, like you can there there's so much room for interpretation, so much room for improvement, so many ways to screw it up. I've screwed up a lot of pizzas before I had one that I was happy with. And it just gives you, yeah, like you said, just a greater appreciation for the fundamentals. You know, it's like you know, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you would appreciate a crust or a good cheese or a good sauce before, but but once you actually you know know what goes into it, it's like oh, you actually are eating your pizza and you're like okay, yeah, we need work here on the crust or like you know the the how you cook that cheese, that temperature really matters. So all of a sudden, when you have it at like you know, for example, a, a pizza delicious in New Orleans is my favorite, or wherever you go, or I mean, Roca in Baton Rouge. You, you you actually eat it there and you really appreciate like wow they really nailed that crust like i wonder how they cooked that you know like you start like those those wheels start turning and it gives you this brand new appreciation for those fundamentals so yeah you ever eat at uh g's pizza in mid-city g's no that was my spot dude go get yourself an og from g's okay. i used to slam that pizza when we're talking constantly it was on my street though okay because uh, when we're talking about so pizza how, how, you go florida lee no no this is this is new orleans oh my bad my i bad. love florida lee there's two mid-cities yeah. so i didn't know no. um okay yeah no this is this is mid-city in new orleans gotcha. it's uh 
right there, I think, by like Canal and Bienville. But uh, okay. I, it's, it's incredible. Okay, last question on pizza, and then we'll move on. Yeah, please. How are you? How are, how are you actually heating? How are you cooking it? Do y'all have like an oven? Or a good question. It in the oven. Yeah. So as you know, you know, I just moved in with Claire in her, in her new house, and she has a oven that we were learning is probably too fancy for us. It's the one that has like convection, like true convection, convection pastry. Bake convection, you know, like normal bake, like all these oh, I different. I don't even know what any of that. Means. I know, I, I didn't either. I had to learn. So we're like, we're learning all. It's it's too fancy for us. So we're, it took us a little bit of learning. But yeah, we're cooking it on convection pastry at about four twenty five because it cooks. You know, normally would have gone higher heat, but because it's you know convection, you can trust it a little lower and it actually cooks all the way out pretty well. And uh, but yeah, we're just doing it on a, a normal baking sheet. We we're still new to this, so we're gonna invest in a pizza stone. Uh, sometime in the near future and really really commit to this, especially if we're going to be locked inside for longer. But uh, yeah, what, what do you do? So, okay, so I have that Green Mountain grill, that Traeger, or not Traeger, it's a wood pellet grill, wood pellet smoker, right? The laziest smoker of all time. It regulates its own fire, blah, blah. It's This thing's pretty freaking nifty, dude. It's got a little okay. attachment. It takes five seconds to put in there. I take out the heat box, I put in this thing, and... It gets this stone. It's got a little hood. It gets this stone up to like, it can get up to a thousand degrees, but you want it about 750. And we're talking, it cooks the pizza in like two to three minutes. Wow. Got that little char, that little crisp. It's, it's, it's pretty slick. I'll make you one if, uh, you know, we ever actually get to hang out again in person. That would mean a lot to me. To person. Uh, I made some delicious chocolate chip cookies that we'll talk about maybe at the end of the show. I I guess we should go ahead and dive into, um, yeah, brown butter chocolate chip cookies. The little the the flare yeah. is that you, you have to brown half the butter before you mix it in in the uh, pan, and then uh, little sea salt flakes at the yeah, end. Yeah, big sea salt guy. Yeah. All right, let's dive into it though, because uh, I'm a big Joe Burrow guy. Uh, <laughs> as much as you love sea salt, I, I think I love Joe Burrow even more. And we had Joe Burrow on the radio show this morning. Shout out to my guy Jordy Colada, the kingmaker. He's the best at getting guests that I've ever worked with. And he worked this angle for a while. We talked to Burrow's dad weekly during the season. We've had Burrow's mom on the radio. We've had both the Burrow's brothers. Jordy's been working these angles for months. And finally, we got my guy on. He sat down for 30 minutes, Brody. And uh, that's a big get. And it, he doesn't it, really it talk to good. anybody. Yeah. No, he doesn't talk to anybody. It was, it was well earned. <laughs> on Jordy's part, for sure. Um, but but I thought, I mean, I, I thought, despite the fact that he didn't talk to anybody, I thought he had a couple interesting answers Absolutely. that bear mentioning here on the Hold That Podcast podcast. Um, so I want to start here. I have a fascination with the play before half at, um, at Alabama. Uh, I talked to Clyde about it in a player-to-player thing for, like, pregame last year. And he's told me the story about how, like, they absolutely knew from film that when they got this look in this position, like, when they called it, it was going to hit. Like, he said he knew right as soon as Burrow called it that he was going to be in the pocket wide open. And he told – and, I mean, in the defensive pocket, I'm not talking about Burrow, I'm talking about Clyde – and he basically told the O-line, like, you got to give Burrow a little extra time and it'll hit. And then I talked to Matt Flynn about this play and hearing Flynn break it down and and break down Saban's red zone coverage principles and how this play 
perfectly manipulated this principles was fascinating. And so now I, you know, I presented this opportunity to, to talk to him. I had to ask Burrow about his memory of that play right before half. And for those that don't remember, there's a patch green pick. There's like what, like 10 or 11 seconds left, yeah. something like that. Maybe they're kicking a field goal. Maybe they go for it. And uh, they end up running to play, and Burrow hits Clyde for a touchdown that just really, like, sets the tone, busts the, the floodgates wide open. So uh, I asked Burrow about that play, and uh, here's what he had to say. So we had been working on – so that was the first week we had that play in in the red zone. Um, we had seen the, the Detroit Lions run it the weekend oh. before, and so we put it in. And me and Clyde worked that play after practice every day that week, and and probably repped it, you know, 150 to 100 times throughout the week. Just you know, and we would be talking, Clyde. I think that one was a little too flat. You know, try to keep that one a little higher, um, or you know, go a little slower um, to let to let Jamar clear out um, that defense. And you know, the way the play is set up, you get Clyde matched up on a on a linebacker one-on-one, on a corner out. And as soon as I saw the look pre-snap, I knew we were going to have it. Um, so there was talk before that play of just kicking a field goal because we had, you know, there were like 11 seconds left. We had it on like the, you know, 14 or 15. And I was looking at him. I was like, what are we talking about? Why would we kick this field goal? <laughs> we what are we doing? Let's go. <laughs> and then... Coach O was like, all right, run a play. That's wow. Um, oh, that's great. And then Joe Brady was like, what do you, we call it Alvin. What do you think about Alvin? He said, yep, started running, off, running on the field with my headset off. Um, and we called it, and as soon as I saw the look, I knew that play was going to work. And Clyde ran it great. Thaddeus did his job. Jamar did his job, and it was wide open. Was that the biggest one of the year? Biggest one of the year. Was that the biggest win of the year? Oh, um, I mean, I don't know about that. Yeah, it's, yeah. We had a lot of big wins. We had seven top ten wins. <laughs> um, that was, I mean, it was after we, let's, let's just say this, after we won that game, nobody was beating us. So that was Joe Burrow. And that end there, I just like that exchange. How he uh, kind of pointed out that, you know, we beat seven top ten teams. But the real meat there is uh, a few things that stand out to me in the beginning. Um, first off, Brody, the fact that they got that play from a random Lions game the week before and then implement it in the way that they did, that speaks to an offensive creativity that I just never experienced when I played football at LSU. Like, like I don't ever remember having a similar situation. And I don't know about you, but like I, I take that to kind of speak to the very collaborative and innovative way that that offense was approached as a whole last season. Yeah, I think I think there's actually something to the idea that that play is probably the play that we should point to when we when we kind of dissect this season in so many ways, because one, it's the ultimate kind of Joe Burrow competitor play, right? Of him being like, ah, we're not sailing for a field goal. What are you talking about? Then it's the ultimate, just kind of what this offense is, right? And, you know, he talks about, you know, there's, there's five guys who are going to play in the NFL and, you know, you can't cover them all. So you're going to be wrong. And, you know, that's like Joe Burrow's catchphrase that season was what, it, no matter what the defense tries, they're going to be wrong. And that's kind of the fundamental idea of this offense was that when you have this many guys spread out and you have a quarterback who knows what he's doing, no matter what you show, that means 
there's going to be an opening somewhere else. And then, you, like you said, the collaboration. And I think the most interesting about this is that you talked to Clyde about that. He pointed that play. You, you talked to Burrow about it. He talked about that play at length. And I don't know if you remember, but Joe Brady was asked in December at the Broyles Award ceremony in an interview what, what in-game moment he was most proud of. And he pointed to this exact play at the end of the half, and he said, you know, he, he said, I study touchdowns every week across the NFL. It's like his Wednesday thing. And every Wednesday he studies the biggest plays, the touchdowns, what? and the, the play that was hitting for that play, the Lions were running, hit for touchdown three weeks in a row. Like, it just kept doing it. So the, so they put it in the Thursday before, like like Joe was saying, and they went, he said, okay, here's where we got the discrepancy. He says they repped it once in practice, but then Joe says him and Clyde did it a ton, so maybe it was just him and Clyde doing that on their own. I'm not sure, but I just think it's it's fascinating to see that that uh, that it's the play that three different people point to is like the key play they're most proud of that season, and it just shows on a on a greater level, just kind of the collaboration, what this offense does, all those things. So I, I do find that fascinating. And uh, that's really cool, man. I didn't know. See, and and that's where I think that might almost cause a little trepidation among the huge LSU faithful because, like, that is the sort of stuff that, while everything we're hearing now is very good about Scott Linehan and everything, and of course it's going to be. Like, why wouldn't it be at this point? There's <laughs> Yeah, not a fan of the like new no coach. Yeah, like no one's going to say that. Yeah, exactly, right? So, um but like you, you, you hear stuff like that, and then you hear, you know, that it was Joe Brady that was like, "Hey, maybe we should try that here." And and yeah, that that that's going to be. Can you replace that sort of creativity, that sort of input, uh, that that watching all the touchdowns on Wednesdays is really cool, and that proves what a film junkie he is, how hard he works, and also Burrow talking about repping this t- play hundreds of times with Clyde and them trying to get it just right in terms of like you're too shallow you need to let chase clear it out it's that's again a work ethic that quite frankly i just i i mean like like i said i i guess i'm just i'm viewing this like anybody else does through the prism of my own experience and a lot of this just feels foreign to me and maybe it's because i never played like with a truly elite quarterback uh but but the amount of influence that he can have um in multiple ways right the 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 influence in like having voluntary team practices on saturdays at 10 a.m during the summer but then even like the actual in-game influence right like him sitting there in tuscaloosa and and ozer being like "Ah, i think we should kick a field goal and bro being like wait what are you talking about no let's run a play and then, and then they go and score a touchdown. Like, that was just something that, again, I never saw in my college experience. And whether it's a credit to Ogeron for being open to that or whether it's a credit to Burrow for just being able to handle that or, you know, like everything else in life, it's probably a mixture of both. I just – I find that really fascinating to see. And, and, and I don't know. It's just like I feel like it gives me – more insight well it just caused me to ruminate further upon eternal football truth which is just like how important that quarterback position is and then everything that we learned about what burrow was doing this last season to me just makes the pressure on someone like miles brennan that much higher it's just i mean the the shoes that you are trying to film this dude is obsessive 
like 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 sociopathic obsessive. It's it's wild to me. No, I, I think you you hit it on the head, and it's this thing that you, you I think you and I both always have trouble with when we're trying to like set expectations for 2020 and all these things. Is that it's not just some it's not some tangible talent thing, right? Like Miles Brennan's a really talented quarterback. LSU. In a, in a vacuum is a very talented football team in 2020 but and it, it's it, I'm just reiterating what you're saying but it's, it's what you can't replicate hey they might but you can't expect it I guess is the point is is that extra in, intangible things that were going on there you know it's not normal to have a 20 two-year-old grad transfer who has no other real class obligations other than than just being obsessed with football and you also that kid happens to also have like you said like a compulsive competitive streak that he just has nothing like he just has to spend his whole life on this so it's not normal to have that guy and a 29 year old you know hotshot assistant who's just rising up and those two just happen to click that well in college which is not that normal and for them to spend like hours every day at practice you know in, in the football ops building going through what they're looking at a film and finding out what they like and then going to Ensminger and all that and they show them that because that's kind of how it worked a lot of the time and I just don't think those kind of relationships people clicking you know you can't you can't there's no algorithm that's going to predict if someone's going to click like that or not you know so it's those kind of just extra things that I just don't know if you can expect again so you know even if say in some hypothetical scenario the 2019 team and the 2020 team were you know ex- you know if you're just looking at like a Madden rating or, or equals I don't think it's fair to expect similar results because yeah I mean you just can't predict that kind of just I hate using terms like this but kind of it factor yeah no I mean it's but 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 it is accurate I guess I guess I'm just sitting here in awe just continued awe because I had never witnessed anything like it. Um, being an LSU fan, like, you know, you had seen, like, Rohan Davis was a lot of fun to watch. Um, obviously, somebody like Jamarcus was a lot of fun to watch. And then and then you have all your great NFL quarterbacks, like your Brady and Breezes, but to be doing a show here at this time where they got this new Heisman guy, it's just like a lightning strike that I think as – Time goes on, and I'm just appreciating more and more to see it firsthand. So that was so that was Burrow talking about that Alabama play, and one of the things in there he's talking about Clyde and some of them working together a ton. Well, I also wanted to ask him about Clyde and almost give him like a uh, like a web redemption because you know he left out Clyde at the Heisman speech; it really bugged him. So here was Joe Burrow when I asked him about what Clyde Edwards Elair meant to him. Clyde was my best friend on the team. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time together and, and became really, really close. And we, I mean, we were kind of a calming presence in the backfield for each other. You know, we never took ourselves too seriously. We both always understood, you know, the job at hand on each in particular play. And then every once in a while, you know, we would just throw jokes out of out at each other in the middle of a play. Like one time in, in a huddle after a quarterback sneak, Clyde would always come up and you know give me a little jab in the rib afterwards um, in in the pile, and and then he would make sure to tell me to, to hold on to that football. But he would tell it say it in like a joking way. Um, so just things like that. He kept it light, and and also led by example as well as vocally to you know kind of relay messages to the team he i mean he's he's gonna play for a long time he's so good 
and he's a, one of the best guys I've been around. So I, I don't know if I would have known that. Um, obviously, you knew that Joe Burrow is a great leader of men. But, like, sometimes as a leader, it can be tough to get too close to people. But, you know, it's, it seemed like he had friendships with everybody. I don't know that I've ever heard him sound so sincere when talking about a teammate. And, and that opening line of, Clyde was my best friend, I thought, I, I thought that was pretty powerful. Yeah, I mean, because it, it speaks something we talk about here often is that Joe Burrow was not exactly a social butterfly at LSU. I mean, like you said, he had good relationships yeah. with everybody, but... There weren't, you know, people didn't really go to his apartment. You know, no one like really. He didn't go out a lot. He didn't really know. Like nobody was that tight with him. I think from what I mean, what I saw and what I understood from knowing the family pretty well was he pretty much had two close friends on the team. I think it was Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Thaddeus Moss. Those were the two guys, the only two you'd ever see him kind of hanging out with outside of football or anything like that. So, and and it is interesting because all three of those guys kind of have some similar qualities, right? They all kind of. Have they're all kind of guys who've been I hate the kind of corny, but they all have been guys who were kind of written off at different times. They're all kind of three of the more well-adjusted, mature guys on the team. I think you'd say they're guys who've probably been through a little bit more. Guys who just kind of just are adults. You know, they're not really guys who are going to get in trouble. Not guys who are going to goof around much or anything like that. So yeah, I, I do. Find, I, I did think that that answer was really fascinating because it was kind of a. Just the, it's something we hadn't really heard Joe Burrow say or talk about of anybody really in that tone. But I would like to laugh at one thing you said that uh, that Joe Burrow said that he was the one who uh, didn't take too, things too seriously in the huddle. I, I find that hard to believe that Joe Burrow is the one <laughs> who's telling people not to take things too seriously. I, I have a hard time with that. Also, like, uh, is that not the most like football guy bonding moment of all time? He's like, you know, like there's this one hilarious time where we're in the pile and Clyde's like, hold on the ball. <laughs> like, punch the ball. Like, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. Yeah, this, this is great. Uh, so, I mean, it's just a, another player um, from this year that will forever be immortal is is Clyde Edwards Elair. And, and, and again, a lot of his legend goes around that Alabama game, but. It just shows like the chemistry that those two had and how effective that chemistry was. Um, again, it goes back to kind of the perfect storm thing that you were discussing. It's kind of wild. Be thankful for what you witnessed. All right, last Burrow clip I wanted to highlight here. Um, I thought Joe Burrow, so I, you know, I was kind of getting, I was trying to pick his brain on being the first overall pick, what it's like to go to a franchise that obviously struggled recently, like the year before, because they had the first pick. And I and, and I thought he was I thought he was pretty candid here. So so here was Burrow's response when asked, What's it like to be uh drafted like first overall? You know, in in, a, in a, the draft is, is funny because you don't have you know, not a lot of professions get that pick you to you know, you engineers don't get drafted to certain companies. So that's um, kind of peculiar in, you know, the capitalistic ways of the United States. But that's how it is. And, and the teams that had the worst year pick at the top, and that's why they're there. Um, so, you know, whatever team I go to, it's going to be a challenge at the beginning. I'm going to have to, you know, persevere through it. And just like I've done in in the past, and, you know, you might have 
a really good first year. You might have a really bad first year. You don't really know, um, especially without OTAs this year. and You're going to have less time with your team. Um, so there's going to be ups and downs for sure. You're just going to have to battle through it. That is the most Joe Burrow response, or just most Joe Burrow, just like analytical thoughts on the draft process and players' rights and how it's a weird setup and all that. Like that is the <laughs> the most Joe Burrow thing ever because he's somebody who's obviously been very outspoken about players' rights and whatnot. He's like, yeah, I mean, if I was a badass engineer, he's basically, and I'd probably get to go to a badass engineering company, wouldn't I? I'd be getting paid, like, you know, I'd, I'd be I'd be going to the best companies, but I guess that's not how it works in football. Um, so I just thought that part was funny, but but the part that I did like Brody and maybe it's just him being logical. Maybe it's him acknowledging some like just base human fears. But but when he starts talking about maybe you have a good year, and then he starts talking about like maybe you have a bad year, right? You don't yeah. know. And 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 it got me thinking for for all the talk of the pressure on Miles Brennan, which I once again didn't even come think about bringing up coming into the show today, and it just happened. What about the pressure that Joe Burrow has now put on Joe Burrow? Like, he walked on water this last season. The expectations for him, even year one in the NFL, are going to be massive. Like, like how does he live up to the very reputation that he built? See, I will say it's kind of funny because I think we interpreted this a little differently because I, I think there was probably some self-awareness in that comment and probably some noble nobility to it, but I took it as a... And I don't want to like feed bloggers and the people who run these obnoxious, you know, ag... ag uh, Agged like you know things about everything which Joe Burrow says about the Bengals, but I kind of took that as him kind of subtly saying like it's gonna be challenging, you know, where I end up, and there's gonna be, you know, it might be a tough year, and we have to grow from it. It kind of sounded like he was kind of reserved and a little bummed no, about it. No, for sure. I, I, and I don't. I hate right, feeding right. that. He, I he hate is, feeding it. No, 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 no. But no, no, you're, bro. You're not wrong at all. He is saying that. He is acknowledging that truth. He's saying, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to go to a shitty team. It's going to be really tough. But that doesn't change the fact that he would have to live through that bad year. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and so, like, that is still a fear, right? Like, regardless of what the objective truth may be, if he goes out there and he even has a rookie season like Peyton Manning has, he will get lambasted. He will. Way worse we than Peyton Manning probably to, did because it's 2020. Yes. Yes, we love – I mean, look at – how for for whatever it's worth, um, like Baker Mayfield or something, right? Like like if 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 you were a young quarterback, people are just waiting to make very uh, like final takes on you, very holistic takes on you and your playing ability, and and they don't always allow a lot of room for growth in the twenty four seven news cycle. So you're right; he is saying like, yeah, look, I'm going to go to a shitty situation. So like. We might struggle initially, but and we're leaving out that he's not even going to have a normal off season. Yeah, well, and and exactly right. And he mentioned that he's like, I mean, and then we don't have OTA, so I can't even get my timing down with these guys. Like, yeah, I mean, it would suck though to be stepping into that amount of pressure and just know that, like, well, like, what if everything I do still won't be enough? Because you're right, dude. He's not. I mean. Look at all the players from LSU that are going to be drafted this season. I mean, the, the, in, in this upcoming draft. Like, the Bengals are not nearly as talented as the team, you know, relative to their opponents uh, that he was taking the field with every single week last season. So, 
I just think that's kind of a a a, a fascinating headspace to have to get into as you're going to this terrible situation. You know you're going to play immediately. And fair or not, you got to be good or you got to recognize that you're going to be dealing with a ton of criticism. Yeah, and you almost wonder, you know, the thing that makes Joe Burrow Joe Burrow is this just kind of irrational, absurd confidence, and that's how you get as good as he is. You know, it's kind of almost strange to hear him talk like that. And I, I'm not saying it's going to, like, mean that he lost his confidence. It's just, it is interesting because I've just never really heard him speak like that. Yeah, and, and, and I don't think that. I, I, I think it was just a, like, like you said, an acknowledgement of the truth of the situation. But, uh, but yeah. Best of luck to Joey Burrow whenever he gets to Cincy. Hey, the Bengals spent some money out. this offseason. Uh, yeah, I asked him about that. Uh, he kind of laughed. Well, asked you asked him about problem. if he flexed and made the Bengals keep A.J. Green. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, come on. I'm cutting to the heart of the issue here. But uh, It's true. But they also like not. paid in free agency, which the Bengals, as a as – a, Somebody who grew up a Bengals fan, I could promise you, the Bengals have never in my life spent actual money on free agency, and they spent well. So two that big is ones. that is their reputation, right? And so, yes. if they're not going to spend now, then they never will. So you know, it's it, it's up to them to see how this thing, um, to see if they can change that reputation. Uh, and I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Oh, and then the last little funny thing was I asked about because uh, we interviewed O and O said after the visit he was sure that Joe wasn't going to come that he was going to Cincinnati and then he called up Dan Burrow and got in Dan's ear and Dan's the one that convinced him and uh, I asked Joe about that and Joe said no that is uh, far from the truth <laughs> he just said that he was a 21 year old recruit so he didn't want to like get dressed up in the uniform and do all this stuff and that uh, and because of that else you thought he like hated it He's like, no, I just like, I, you know, I've been wearing a uniform for three years. I don't want to just like play dress up here. Uh, so <laughs> I actually did get a kick out of that. And that's know. actually completely fair. Cause yeah, I mean, yes, yeah. dude, you would not, that is some high school slap ass BS is, is, is dressing up in those, uh, in those pigs. The only wing worse is when the, the fathers get involved. Actually, I kind of love that though. Um, yeah, I, the Florida right. one, I enjoyed that. So we can do two things, Brody. Yeah. We can talk about the man who once started a GoFundMe to fire Ed Hogeron. Um, or we could take a couple of these questions that people sent us in on Twitter. What do you want to do? I'll, I'll cede to you, but I was going to say I, I actually enjoyed two of the questions we got. So I'm interested. To okay, see. cool. Yeah. I was kind of thinking the same thing. And plus the, the, the but hey, go read 15 it. grand to fire Ogeron is evergreen. We can do that next That's week. That's a good point. That's a good point. Um. Okay, this comes from Eric LT on Twitter. He says, outside of Joe, which LSU draftee will you think will be most likely to go to the Polbo first? Uh, he's got an interesting answer. I, I think it's a really good he question. Says, uh, he says, my money's on Thaddeus Moss. So the only reason I'd be like, eh, about Thaddeus Moss is, first off, you just start with the fact that he's probably going to be like the, the eighth one picked. So that's kind of a... That's a ballsy pick, and I admire it, actually. You know, He's not going with the basic one. But also... Thaddeus Moss just like after the combine, it came out that he was going to have to have another foot surgery, which is very bad sign for a guy who missed two a whole season pretty much because he had to get f- mm. the same surgery done twice on his foot because it got messed up. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to act like I'm a doctor and know anything. We're actually not even 100 percent sure it's the same foot, but that's not a great sign for a tight end. But I still like where his head's at. 
So this is a great question, though, because, you know, I feel like Justin Jefferson, I feel pretty confident he's going to at least succeed the NFL. You know, I think the your, yeah. your probability is probably pretty solid there. Then you have, like, your, your Chasons and Delpits who might be, you know, superstars, or I could also see them kind of just not really panning out. They are more upside plays. So I am actually going to go with, and this might be not that fun of a pick, but I think I'm taking Patrick Queen because Patrick Queen seems to me like a good mix mm. of upside with you know reliability with i kind of think it's a key factor that it seems pretty much like a sure thing he's going to go in the 20s which means he's going to go to a pretty good organization it seems like you see the saints a lot you see the bravens a lot those are two places that i feel like are actual you know literal perfect fits for patrick queen both in a you know how they play but more importantly just you know the culture and the actual institution there so i i like the idea of patrick queen's career i think he might be my pick um, I don't think I have a better answer than that. I Come on, was maybe gonna try to go Christian Fulton, Ooh, but I don't know that he makes the first round. And I think that fan voting plays a huge part. And I think that the notoriety of being a first round pick, especially as you said, to a pretty stable franchise, um, that all feels combined with like what his actual skill set looks like and the coverage stats that he put up in college. Like everything about that feels like Patrick Queen's the answer. So I think my um, second no, pick no, would be not, Grant Delpit, though. I think I think Grant Delpit. Uh, I'm not saying he Caleb should be t- second. Yeah, I mean that's fair. I don't blame you there, but I think there's something weird. I'm mean, I'm not saying Grant Delpit should actually go top 15, but I think the Grant Delpit falling thing just kind of confuses me. And I and I always talk to Jack Marucci about this. And Jack Marucci is somebody that, as you know, NFL teams actually really lean on Jack Marucci and Tommy Moffat in the draft process for for character evaluations, for you know, just kind of insight. They're kind of the top guys a lot of franchises turn to. And Marucci always says, like, NFL teams will understand when they actually look closer at this that Grant Delpit was playing that season pretty much injured for, what, 10 of those games, wasn't himself, and also insisted on playing through the injury, which he thinks will actually help his stock. So it's just one of those things that you never know if you want to. Is the mock draft actually – are Kuiper and those guys, are they – reporting these things and hearing it because they they really like are getting told they're not going to go to the 30s or 40s or are they saying it just because you know no one's really raving about him but maybe that's because teams are actually really high on him and don't want to give away that information you know you just and it just takes one team so i kind of first off i feel like somebody's going to take him in the 20s but second off i just yeah i just think his upside's still so massive i mean grant delpin in 2018 was as good of a defensive football season as i can remember seeing and i'm not denying there's major concerns out of 2019 but i still think there's so much upside there uh, noted fanboy Brody Miller on why Grant Delpit will go to the <laughs> Pro Bowl. Um, no, I mean, another excellent answer. I guess, okay, is it – we're running out of time, but is it more crowded to get to the Pro Bowl through the safety position, the linebacker position, or as a pass rusher? Again, I think Patrick Queen's path is easiest. I guess more safety versus the pass rusher, like – or an outside linebacker. Like, like, who has an easier path to break through? Ooh, that's, that's tricky. Because, yeah, I mean, obviously an outside linebacker, it's easier to – or a D-end, it's for Chase on. It's easier to him to, like, make a name for himself. But it's, like, it's a very crowded area, right? And then – Exactly. And exactly. linebacker, yeah, I guess that – I like what you're saying. I think you're, you're – Linebacker making, feels wide open. Like, everything yeah. – it's Patrick Queen. Let's move on. Yeah, I want to get right. one more in here before we got to go. Um – at primetime podcast uh shout out to the primetime podcast they cover lsu um he says chris fowler talks about college football being played in the spring if that's the case besides crawfish at football tailgates which would be awesome um how else could tailgate food be affected so 
I actually did some reporting on this one in the last you know thirty minutes. I actually tried to get some good, and I, I reached out to friend of the pod Zach Rao, who obviously is kind oh, of the and tailgate also, master. The tailgate master. I mean, Andy Staples always calls LSU the best tailgate in the country, and Zach Rao is a huge reason for that. He actually was on Andy Staples' podcast, which is pretty cool to see. And I, I reached out to him, and he said, first off, obviously crawfish, but he was just kind of really op. Well, he, he pointed out he's actually not too bullish on the chances of there being tailgate in the near future, just if there's not a vaccine. But that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah. He, he, he kind of th- pointed out that the seafood season in general could just be really fascinating for, for tailgating. You know, maybe some uh, boiled and fried shrimp, some fried catfish or, or a speckled trout. Then he pointed out you're still going to see a lot of jambalaya. But then, you know, maybe some fries with the fried seafood, maybe some green salads and green beans like they would for a Lenten fish fry. And... And yeah, but yeah, you're saying it's a it's a shitty thing to say, but football tailgating in the spring could be really fun since it'll be seafood season. It would. Um, there are other ramifications, such as playing a season in spring and a season in fall, that I would like to get into, but we will save that for <laughs> next week's Hold That Podcast podcast. If you enjoy this, go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. Get some great sign-up deals. The Athletic is the best. Buy your meat today, Bear. Specialty meats. Brody Miller, thank you so much. Anything to say before you sign off? Well, um, make pizza at home, and let's let's get some more. Let's, everyone, send us your pizza that you make at home over the next week, and I and we will retweet you. Yes, I'm 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 into that. I am a uh, yes yes, and um, and I'll try to buy a pizza. Actually, store. I'll take any food. I'll take any food. I'm very into cooking right now. Me too. I'm so very any good. food you want to send us. Go ahead and throw it over my way. Uh, thank you, Athletic. Thank you to John Hayes doing the sound producing. Everybody have a great day. Like, review, share. You're the best. We'll see you next week on the Hold That Podcast podcast.